For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. We continue in the book of Colossians as the Apostle Paul denounces the false teachings that were turning the Christian experience into a tedious and lifeless list of do's and don'ts. In chapter 3, Paul tells us how to do that. We must first take off the old way of thinking and then put on the new life which has been given to us in Jesus Christ. This will then change our behaviors. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Out with the Old, In with the New. Now, Heavenly Father, as we just settle in now, we pray for your blessing. Open the eyes of our understanding, Father. Help us to have ears that can hear and eyes that can truly see what your word has for us today, that we might be changed in Christ's name. Amen. Was I, reading, I was reading an article about a search and rescue. I like that kind of thing. And um, unfortunately, this was a search and rescue that did not go very well. A lost hiker uh, deep in the woods there, Appalachian uh, chain there that stretches some 2,000 miles. I had no idea there was a trail that long. 2,000 miles from Georgia all the way up to Maine. And uh, it was there, one of the rugged spots there in Maine, uh, that this woman <clears throat> got lost, wandered off the trail, and um, they did not reach her in time. Now, there was this very detailed investigation as to what went wrong, and they reached a very sad conclusion by reading her journal. She had a compass, but quite frankly, uh, she did not know how to use it. And so the rangers, uh, let me quote from the article, a compass is an essential tool for anyone out in the woods. Quote, you can get caught in heavy fog and you can get off the trail, he said. You don't venture into the wilderness without a compass. You have to have the knowledge because it only takes a couple missteps for a hiker to get lost. And so, of course, a compass will orientate you, orients you, right? Um, If you know how to use it. And the compass needle will always point to true north. Uh, But you got to set the the compass housing to the direction that you want to go. And it's not as easy as it seems. And, uh, but, you know, if you set the compass accordingly, correctly, with precision, the arrow will point and you do the walking and you will find if you follow the direction that the compass is set, you will end up in your desired destination. Does anybody know where we're headed with that kind <laughs> of thing? Well, yes, why, yes. Here in Colossians chapter 3, this will be the point that he begins now a new practical and ethical behavior section. Um, But the point will be, it's not only it's only it's not a compass that needs to be set, but it's the compass 
of our hearts and our minds that need to be set. Now, here comes this practical, how do Christians live now that we understand that we've been raised with Christ and the spiritual thing happened? What kind of behavior? We already found out about rules and regulations, man-made philosophies and stuff that's just not going to cut it. But how should we live? Well, first he says you've got to set your compass, and then the, the moral and ethical behaviors shall unfold. So let's take a look at the, the, the scripture in its entirety first. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts, there's the compass there, on things above, true north, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, once again, on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, by the way, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, so set the compass, and now we're going to get busy. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And here's the list. A list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger and rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to one another since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, in the image of its creator. He goes on. Here there is no Jew or Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slaver, free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, so it's not just about what you don't do and stop doing, now it's what you do, start doing. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Excuse me. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and counsel, admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is our text this morning. We're going to take a good look at that, and uh, it divides quite nicely. You know, first of all, if you're taking notes, he says, uh, set, set a new course. Okay, what do you do when you become a Christian? Well, what's the first step? Well, you, you better set your heart and mind on a new destination. And so, you, number one, uh, there, verses 5 through 11 is talking about the new course correction, and then number two, he says, not only do you set a new course, but you ditch the old life. And so he talks there in verses um, 12 through 17, then, or I should say 5 through 11, sorry about that, about uh, getting rid of bad behavior. 
All right, so you set the compass, then you get rid of the bad behavior, which is ditch the old life. And then lastly, from verses 12 through 17, uh, put on the new clothes, put on the new life, live the new life, all right? So we got three points, set a new course, ditch the old life, and three, put on the new clothes, and that's gonna stand for the new life, the new Christian life. So uh, let's isolate the first part. Course correction, set a new course. Put your mind on heaven, set the, set the compass of your heart <clears throat> uh, on things above, which is true north. I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science. You know, you point the direction, you point the compass needle in the direction it needs to go, right? And you just follow. You're gonna end up in that place. Well, he says, above, above, above. There's been a change here. That's where you want to end up, is above. That's where your Lord and Savior is, above. That's the kind of culture. It's the, the culture of heaven, right? Being a citizen of heaven. That's where your true self actually is, in, though it's hidden and you can't really see that, but where you truly live, your true identity is above. And so, <clears throat> as I alluded to, uh, we've moved from last few verses the context has been doctrine and right theology about what it means to be saved. And he's already told us, he shot, <laughs> he shot deadly holes through the idea that Christianity is some religion of do's and don'ts and you can't do this and you can't do that. Rule-based religion, no way. So he, he mentioned dietary codes, you know, no meat on Friday, no coffee in the morning, no pork ever. You know, dress codes and hair length and jewelry and holidays that you either have to observe or not observe, whether you can have a Christmas tree and still be a Christian. All of these nonsense things and what kinds of games you can play, cards are in or out. <clears throat> these kinds of things he actually was talking about, not, not um, in a contemporary way, but things that have wide, um, broader um, meaning. An application. So rather, he said, Christianity is a spiritual thing. You've heard you were dead in your sins. You weren't doing anything uh, to qualify. You were dead. Somehow, God enabled you to hear the message. You put, you believed. You put your trust in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit came in and gave you new birth. And there was a death to the old life. And spiritually, you were connected to Jesus Christ and raised with Him to a new life. That's what happened. Now he's saying, you got to adjust the course of your life now because there's a new destination. That's what happened. God changed you. But it had nothing about rules and regulations to earn it. And so, interesting, there will be a code of ethical behavior that results from what now spiritually and supernaturally transpired in the life of those who have been raised with Christ. So we have set a new course uh, direction here. Well, you have to, because as for you, you were dead in your sins before, right? You need a new direction. In which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world, Ephesians chapter 2. You followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is the devil. You were under his spell, the Bible says. All of us 
lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, our sinful nature, our lower passions, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving God's judgment. So yeah, God came in, did a new life thing, not based on any goodness we were doing, right? Raised us up, and now, now what? You got to change your longings and desires and goals and agenda because from that setting issues forth your life. So now there has to be some new intentions. And so we already saw that self-imposed rules lack any power to make those kinds of ethical changes. Uh, in fact, in fact, uh, they can't restrain, rules cannot restrain your sinful desires. In fact, the rules just antagonize them. That's what it does. You just tell yourself, no more thou shalt never eat chocolate cake again. <laughs> All you ever, your life's goal will be to get some chocolate cake. You will see chocolate cake everywhere. And your flesh will not rest until you get the chocolate cake and smear it all over your face, right? That's how the flesh is. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the law just, just antagonizes you. Rose, roses. Romans chapter 7 says that, he says, just take one of them, for example. Thou shalt not covet. Covet means to desire what isn't yours, and so he said, as soon as I heard, thou shalt not covet. My sinful nature just said, oh, yeah? Uh, I shall. I shall. You say, thou shalt? I shall. And then he said, Paul said, I was coveting things I didn't even know I wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, so uh, away with your rules. It, it's not going to help that you don't do this and you do that and you don't eat that and it. it doesn't help you. It's the spiritual union with Christ and the power that he brings in the new life. It's not by saying, I can't do this. It's by filling in. And as the sap comes up of the new life, the dead leaves fall off. That's more like it. And so the only remedy to stop sinning and have moral transformation is union with Christ. And he said, so then you've been Raised from the dead. Now, if theologically and mystically speaking, somehow our spirit has been joined to Christ and we've been raised to, with him, because we've been joined to him. Where is he? He's sitting on a throne in heaven. Where are you spiritually? You are here, but you are hidden there because in some mystical way, you are joined to Christ. That's what this is teaching, right? If you've been raised, it presupposes that you have died. There's a lot of people do not understand this. He says you died. You told everybody that at baptism. You stood in the baptismal tank and you said, I died. See? That's a picture. Guess what's happening when you're falling back? You're not taking a bath. Uh, you're not going to sleep to take a nap. You're saying, a deadly wound has been issued in me, and I died, buried, drowned, dead. And something new came up. So he's saying the old life, the way you used to think, your values, the sins you used to commit in love, your darling little sins, 
the way you were, the way you grew up, how your parents affected you or didn't affect you, and all of that. He says, look, I'll read it to you. This is what I read at baptisms all the time. Uh, There was an argument saying, oh, we're saved by grace, then we can do whatever we want. And Paul's answer was, by no means, God forbid, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in in, in it any longer? Or don't you realize that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So this idea, Paul said it to, to the Galatians, it's, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me, Galatians 2.20. The old person has died. I've been raised. I have new goals. I, I talk differently. I just, I don't, you know, uh, some of your, your, ta- your conversions lend itself to this understanding. Because you, like the Apostle Paul, that dramatic, one day you were alive and well and sinning, and the next day, is what happened to me? And you were changed, and you saw the world differently. That's what happened to me June 3rd, 1979. You know it because I'm always talking about it. 19-year-old kid, not, not looking for God. Hearing the gospel here and there, my Jewish dad had, had said some things that stuck with me. My sister was converting and believing the gospel through my father, but I had street preachers and nobody else. And he came into that bar and he convicted me of my sin and he gave me an audio vision where all I heard was, why are you going to hell? You don't have to. Why are you going to hell? Why are you going to hell when you don't have to? And I walked out of there, but I'm telling you, I have a vision of a corpse on, in the bar. I, that, that Ross died. I don't even know how. I didn't want him to die. I wanted them to live. I was living it up. But I was dying. I walked out of the bar. My brother's slapping me around saying, what's going on with you? I'm like, I think there's a God and he's after us. And he, my brother started crying. You know the story. My brother started crying and said, he's after me too. And I said, well, what are we going to do? I, I, so both of us, me in the bar, Darian on the sidewalk, dead, dead, dead. We got in the car. We said a little prayer. We didn't even know what we were saying. I looked up. I told you this. I looked up in the sky driving to see my only, the only Christian I knew was my Jewish dad. And we're driving down 101 saying these little prayers, you know, and, 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 and God is doing this amazing work, this new life, and we, and we walk into my, my dad's uh, apartment. We're, we're Christians. Dad, and the first thing I wanted to tell him that we had been stealing from him. Who, who is this person? Why am I telling my father? Oh, Dad, by the way, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian now. I'm a Christian. God, I just heard, I heard the voice of the Lord, and I'm, I'm a Christian now. Dad, we've been stealing from you and everything. And, uh, what? I was like, who, who is this person, right? Because he's, 
He's new. He didn't just start turning. He didn't turn over a new leaf. You didn't get religious. A supernatural thing happened that faith came from hearing. And I started to pray, God, if you're real. And he heard that prayer and bam, new life. You become this new life. Well, what did I have to do? I had to set the course, that compass housing, to up. Instead of down. <laughs> That's what he's saying here. To up instead of down. So he says, listen, you're joined to Christ. He says, it's hidden. You can't see it. The world can't see it. The world doesn't see him. It's invisible. He's hidden. And you're joined to him who's hidden. Therefore, you're hidden too. But he says, when Christ appears, who, by the way, is your life? So in in other words, he's asking for you to give everything for this Savior, right? So he just throws in, I love how he does this, who, who, by the way, is your life, you know? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life? The only reason your heart just beat was Jesus said, go ahead, take another, take another breath. So don't get all uptight about, man, I gotta give this, I gotta give this, every little thought. He's your life. You don't, you don't exist without his, first of all, he created you, he sustains you, he holds you together, right? But the, the big thing is, is he, he, he is the source of your current life. You woke up, he said, I'm gonna give you this day. You wouldn't have the day if Jesus didn't. So therefore, it's okay for him to say, hey, every thought, every affection, everything has to be him first, him first, him first. Why? Because he's your life. Then, oh, okay, I get it there. And he says, so when Christ appears, when the hidden Christ becomes visible, guess what, folks? So will you. And then the whole world in that glorious moment, look, Romans 8 says, yeah, What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal through us later. For all creation is waiting, all creation waits eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. So he's saying, wow, you guys got to focus and point toward up, toward heaven, to things above. Because one day the hidden one will, will be revealed. And you, because you're hidden and joined with him, will be revealed as well. And then the world that persecutes and marginalizes and abuses and opposes and all of that, then, oh, everybody will know, oh, that's who you really are. That's a beautiful thought. And so, and so he says, set your heart. Uh, the Greek is there, right, right there. Uh, the first set your heart is... Um, your affections, your longings, right? Because you're only going to do what you want to do. Newsflash, the reason you're not doing something is because you don't want to do it, right? So you've got to let God change that in your heart. Uh, and then he says, set your mind. It means to think on, strategize, plan. You know, I want to get to this point. I need to be this kind of person. So you're going to have to throw, uh, get going in that regard. Setting your mind, let me quote some guy who's smarter than me. Setting your mind above doesn't mean you shirk your earthly responsibilities. It means it stop, you stop thinking like the world thinks. 
living like there's no God, doing whatever you want, whatever you please. Instead, you put God's interests first and live for what's important to him in the midst of all our earthly endeavors. In other words, we have earthly endeavors. He's not saying, don't, he's not saying be, so earthly, be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And quite frankly, I don't really know people like that. I know people who are really heavenly minded who are a whole lot of earthly good. And that's, the, that's what we're supposed to be doing. So what he's saying is weigh everything in the light of eternity. The way you raise your kids, the way you shop, the way, the way you do your job, everything. That, that the end goal of your life, sir, is not your career and a financial future that's secure. It is not. That's not your goal as a Christian. Your goal is the kingdom of God, to do God's will, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and Jesus said, if you seek the things that are God's interests, all the other things will work themselves out. Of course he wants you to work hard and take care of your family and, so, and have a financially secure future. Yes, but that's not the goal. That's the goal of the earth. That's on setting the, 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 the compass on career path. No, 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 no. Set it above pleasing God, and he'll give you the desires of your heart, and he'll guide you to the career path. You see, it's just a slippery little slope, isn't it? It's a fine little mind, you see? Uh, line, I should say. The aim of our lives is not relationships, popularity, and degrees, and all of that. It's to please God. Now, to the immediate effect of setting the mind on heaven will be coming out of the dark woods. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, let's try some of these. Uh, because, you know, God's pretty angry and he's going to come judge the world for stuff like that. Now, this was a part of your old life, but now you've got to get rid of that stuff. Let me give you another short little list, you know. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Uh, you know, I could go on. Don't send, you need to stop lying because that's not going to help you in the congregation uh, where everybody is supposedly one in unity and in love. So ditch the old life. We're on point two. Um, you set the compass, and what happens is you start walking out of the fog and the darkness of the woods into light, right? So the first step is to get rid or take off, uh, you, you know, <laughs> a call to kill your sin. Now, the Lord never, you know, pulls any punches with sin because he knows how deadly it is and destructive. It'll kill you. It can kill you physically, but it will destroy you. It will destroy families. It'll wreck your job. It'll ruin your reputation. Sin, sin always brings a death of some Form. And sometimes death in all its fullness and ultimately in an unregenerated soul, the second death. So it'll lead somebody to actually do something stupid and die in the process. And if they were not saved at the time, then they die again at what is called the second death. So of course Jesus is going to say, you know, if the sin that is keeping you from coming to Christ is as near and dear and useful as your right hand, cut it off 
amputate it and throw it away because it'd be better for you to enter life with one good hand than to be cast into hell with two hands that are working fine. So what is that? What is that? I mean, look at this. The word to kill your sin there. Oh, my word. Zero tolerance. The old life. Here's what he's saying. The old life has died. Now you must let it die. Right? It means to make dead, to exterminate completely, to utterly slay. It, it, it implies a vigorous, painstaking, personal deter- determination to wipe out any and all vestiges of sin. And let me tell you that. Let me tell you this. I don't feel that all the time. And if I don't feel that tenacious, is there something sinful in me that I need to execute and haul immediately to the guillotine and have the guillotine come down right then and there? Do I live like that? No. I'm sorry to say in front of all of you, but you know why I can say that? Because I know what goes on in your life. If you're the same as me, that we go through seasons where, wow, yeah, we're on this. And then we go through seasons, well, so what? I was mean today. You know, it's in the list. It's slated for execution. Oh, no, you pardoned it. You granted a presidential pardon. Or whatever. You said, you know, today, because I justifiably needed you, oh, mean spirit, Oh, vengeful wrath. Oh, gossiping tongue. I needed you. I need to employ you. And you did a job. And God says, oh, it's death, death. You're breathing death. You're poisoning. You're poisoning yourself. You're poisoning your family. You're poisoning the church. Kill it. Kill it. It needs to be a work of God, people. Because not even, I can't convince you. Your husband can't. He's tried. I I should have used the other way around, okay? Your wife has tried, oh, husband. It just doesn't work. You can't convince a kid. You can't. It has to be a work of God to want to kill one of your darlings, right? The darling. Okay, let's go through the list here. Sexual immorality. Slated for the electric chair. The word pornaya, where we get the ugliest word in the English language, pornography. Sexual, uh, the word there, fornication in the King James, is the umbrella word that any sexual sin falls under. So it's the whole thing. Impurity <clears throat> is wider. Defilement of thoughts and speech. Dirty thoughts and speech. Defilement. Lust, uncontrolled desires. Evil desires, wanting what God forbids. And then there's greed, an insatiable desire for more. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. One scholar said about greed, the arrogant assumption that all, that all other persons and all other things exist for one, one's own benefit. And then another, by the way, by the way, a good definition of greed Paul is saying, 
idolatry. A good definition of idolatry is greed because whatever you're lusting after, you're bowing before, you're setting your compass at that instead of at God. So whenever you do this and it's on things below, you've committed idolatry, right? So there, there, are not, there are harmless things that every day we have to set in practical ways. We have to set things in this earth, but not without the consideration and the biblical perspective in light of eternity, in light of the living God who dwells in my heart, in light of the gospel and the church and, 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 and all of that. That's what he's saying there. Okay, uh, we're going to just take the whole list, even though there's a couple thoughts in between the list. Uh, let's go with the anger. A general hostile attitude day in and day out. Somebody you'd call just a hothead. Just, just always the same. Rage, the outburst, the expression when people are hurt verbally or physically. Malice just means mean-spirited. Just a nasty, nasty person. Malice, malicious. Slander, destroying a person, reputation and life with your words. Filthy language. It really means to cuss someone out. But you can include all kinds of unwholesome words. So he says, <clears throat> this isn't an exhaustive list, but when you upward, you're going to have to uh, and not go to years of therapy, all right, necessarily. But I just want you to right then and there put the thing on the guillotine and press Drop. <laughs> Done. And the, yeah, is it that easy? Well, he's, he's using language for, of taking a, a dirty jacket off and putting a clean jacket on. Mm-hmm. The, that's the literal Greek about get rid is to take off your clothes, take off a jacket. All right? So is it that easy? If you want it to be. Oh, oh it's only if you want it to be. But if you want it to go, you know, okay, I'm taking the jacket off. Where do I start? Okay, should I start here? Or, okay, let me go to a therapist. therapist. Okay, let me pay $125, $150 to hear, you know, I guess I'm wearing a dirty jacket. Yeah, you are. Okay, how long have you had it? I don't know. It started when I was nine, you know. Okay, well, let's talk about it, you know. Uh, okay, where should I start? Should I put my hand here? Or should I put my hand here? I could go on for days like with this illustration, right? Take the jacket off. You know how to take a jacket off, sir. You really do. You know how to take it off. Take it off. And then you put a jacket on. One arm at a time like this. And you go like that. And guess what? You're done. 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 The only problem that makes it so hard is because you don't want to take the jacket off. Oh, I hate to be the one to drop all of this honesty on you. (laughs) Where do we leave off? Two reasons. Let's go back to the middle ground. Two reasons to shoot this kind of behavior in the head and to peel it off of you like clothes that got dirty by a sewer. Two reasons. Number one, verse six. He says, you might want to take that jacket off, that kind of behavior, all the list, uh, because God's impending judgment. When he comes in the day of the Lord, the wrath, what we call the great tribulation, he's coming for stuff like that. 
He's mad about stuff like in the list. And, and his vengeance is to deal with the stuff that's on the jacket. You might want to take the jacket off. I'm just saying, he's going to appear. The earth is going to melt and dissolve, and the mountains are going to be leveled, and the islands will disappear. And in one of the judgments, a quarter of the population dies. And in a second one of those judgments, a third of the population on earth is gone. The oceans will no longer support life. Why? Because of stuff in the list. You want to take the jacket off? You want to press now? Hit the guillotine. <laughs> Hit the guillotine, right? That's what he's saying. He's just saying, I don't know. Maybe if I were you, I might want to stop being so mean and hot-headed. I want to stop clicking men on images that, that are lustful. You are committing pornaya. God is coming to judge the world for that, and you're doing it every other day? Take that jacket off. It's just stinking up the whole room. Amen? I love you still, because you're looking at me like, okay. The second reason he says you might want to deal with those sins is, is that that's how you used to live. It's a thing of the past, bro. We, we almost could understand it. You were raised that way. You, you didn't have any father figure. You, you didn't know the gospel. The only thing you knew about Jesus was an adjective to blaspheme with. You were in darkness. You were under the spell of the devil. You were, quote, dead in your sins. So, of course, you used to click on things like that. Of course, you used to lie. Of course, you did everything in the list times 10. But now, supposedly, by your own lips, you've seen the light, and you're going to heaven, and you know the Lord. Well, you better start evidencing it, or you will be like Peter said. There's a proverb for guys like you who say, oh, I've escaped the corruption in the world, but you end up back doing everything in the list. He says, a sow, a pig that gets washed off, given the next opportunity she goes wallowing in the mud. Right? Why? Because all that happened was you, you prettied her up on the outside. There was no inner transformation of that pig. And he says, a dog, if it vomits up, it has no sense. It'll walk away from it for a while. And then guess what? It gets hungry again. And it comes back. I'm quoting the Bible. I'm not making stuff up. Peter says that dog will come back. Why? Because it's a dog. It's a feral dog. You didn't get a heart change. You didn't get a soul transformation. You like the mud. You like the vomit. You're back on the list. And what does that say? It says one of two things, sir, or madame. You are either a backslidden Christian or you're kidding yourself and you're lost in the woods and you're fogged up and you are dis connected from God because these things are not characteristics of Christians. They're characteristics of the earth, the down dwellers, the ones in the elevator, they hit basement floor. <laughs> That's how they live and God's going to come and judge them for the list. That's why when you see one of them, you're going to haul it back behind the shed and put it down. 
no matter how loud it screams, you need me. You've always had me by your side. What are you going to do? Oh, you'll be sorry about... (laughs) Amen? I hope that goes off as well next... I was going to say next period. You know, we're not at school, but next service. I think you get the point. Let's talk about the good stuff. So it's not just about putting the beasts down. That's a busy job. But it's about putting on. But, you know, doesn't it make sense that it would start with what you take off first? Because you got to take that off first and put on the clean stuff, right? Therefore, you're God's chosen people. You're holy. You're set apart. You're dearly loved. So here's what you put on. There it is. Clothe yourself. Compassion, kindness, humility, all of this. Be forgiving. Cut people slack. Put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in this place in your heart. Be thankful and be a devoted Christian. Let the word of God dwell down deep and counsel one another. Be a blessing. Always have a song of praise to God in your heart, you know. And then he says, whatever you do, it's a great sum up line. Whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the positive things that we do, not to be saved. Listen to me. You don't do this so you can get wind up in heaven. You do this as evidence that you've already been given heaven. Right? Nothing you can do can save you. Nothing. Or sustain your walk. And so... Put on the new clothes. Set the new course. Ditch the old life. Put on the new clothes. So, uh, and first of all, he starts, I love this. Don't be discouraged. Because he just gave you the list. And everybody in the congregation 2,000 years ago had the same reaction that you had. Oh, no. My goose is cooked. Because I've got some of those. And I'm letting them live. So he said, don't get discouraged, people. You're in a good place. Number one, God chose you. God chose you. Do you know what the word chosen means? It means from a group, God selected some out of a known group. So it says in Ephesians, even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So he's saying, listen, you struck it rich, buddy. Gal, listen to me. Oh, two, two steps forward, three steps back? Got it. But guess what? You're, you're, you're in a good spot. Uh, he voted for you. You're a winner. God saved you and chose you and predestined you. You're going to make it. Just cooperate with him. Right? He's saying you're on the winning team. He's already been, he's rigged the game in your behalf. That's what choosing us. See, that's why he's saying, listen downhearted. How am I ever gonna stop being mean? And I'm always slandering other people. And you know, that's just the way I am. And he's saying, stop it. God has chosen you. And listen to why, why he chose you to be holy. Oh, that's the next word there. He's saying, God wants first of all, picked you and said, this is the purpose. I'm going to transform you to be like me, like father, like child. 
you're going to reflect my goodness. In fact, that's my destiny for you. He says, God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? As loving as Jesus, as morally pure as Jesus, as patient as Jesus, as sensitive as Jesus, as wise as Jesus. That's God's overarching theme. Over you, everything working together for good means that this is causing you to be more like Jesus. And then he says, and by the way, beloved, dearly loved means you are the apple of God's eyes. Whether you got the list done or how you scored on this list, he just plain loves you. He loves you for the sake of loving you the way you are. And if I know that God chose me, he rigged the system for me to win, he's with me, this is the very purpose of what God wants to do in me, so he's working toward that. I've got him on my side helping me, my cheerleader and the, my coach and the one who's doing it. And he loves me. That's what grace is for. I've got you know eight of those things conquered. I'm still working on two of them. Or, or ver, I've got the other way around. He loves me, so I can suit up. That's what he's saying. So suit up with that knowledge. Get dressed. And here, let's go through the list. Inner qualities. Notice, I want you to, I don't know if you notice this or not, but every good thing that he's calling us, every good quality, is, a, is that which will reduce friction in the congregation. Because God wants this to be a place of love and unity and peace. So everything you read is geared to bring the friction levels and the irritation levels and the hostility down. Because if you are a compassionate person, you sympathize. This is what it means. It means tender-hearted toward anyone hurting. If you are kind, it means to be sweet temperament, to have a sweet disposition. Humility and gentleness is the way Jesus, our Lord, described himself. He said, you can come to me, don't worry. Come to me, everybody's weary and heavy burden. He says, you can come to me. You know why? Because I'm two things. I'm gentle and humble in heart. <laughs> gentle and humble in heart causes you to want to be in that person's presence because you don't, my brother and I, I told you this before, we've had, we coined a term back 30 years ago. We were at Bible college together and one of us, I can forget who did it, we were talking about some dude and we met some guy and one of us said, you know, you know Scott, you know, yeah, he's a really nice guy. He's totally ears down. And what he meant, or what I meant, was when a dog, when you meet a, a strange dog, you know, sometimes the ears will go up like, I'm going to attack you. <laughs> you know, it just is ears, pointed ears up like, watch out. When, when he said, he's totally ears down. Ooh. You know, it just means there's no threat there. There's a nice guy, general, genuinely. No need to be intimidated or guarded. You know, when you meet somebody, you just feel uneasy and they're judging you or you're don't measuring up or they eyeballed you up one side and down the other and then made a face about it. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so gentle, kind. Humble, it means low, serving. Patient, long-suffering, long-fused. 
a good definition of patience here. Self-restraint that enables one to bear injury and insult without resorting to ill-willed retaliation. So character quality and action is now next with forgiveness. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you've got to forgive others. That was a paraphrase from New Living Translation. Bear with each other means this. Endure, put up with, make allowances, overlook, tolerate. Listen, listen to, picture the person that bothers you. There's something about them that rubs you the wrong way. This is what he's asking. He's saying, Christian, this is a command. I want you to bear with them. Endure with them, put up with them, make allowances for them, cut them slack, overlook, be tolerant, make room for the things we do not like in others, insensitive, insensitivity, rudeness, self-centeredness, misunderstandings, irritations, and those who hold different political views than you. Practice with me. No, this one. <laughs> well, I voted this way because da 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 da. Ready? Practice. Oh, really? Oh, really? That's nice. That's nice. What are you doing this afternoon? <laughs> That's called changing the subject. All right, just. Just helping you to bear with each other. Okay, forgive when your toesies have been stepped on. You got to forgive when your feelings have been hurt. When you weren't invited, when you were excluded, when you were on Facebook and you see all four girls. And where am I, right? Well, where are you? You weren't invited. All right. Can the world go on? You know, for some reason, oh no, everybody's going to pay for that, right? He says, could you forgive, forgive them, forgive. Listen, Jesus just said, do you want to be forgiven? Jesus, our Lord, God, the Son in a body, do you want to be forgiven? Then you better forgive. Peter says, up to seven times. (laughs) Up to seven whole times, and the Lord says, 70 times seven. So Peter gets out the calculator. (laughs) All right, 490, but 491. No, that means you never stop forgiving. Above all, love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't. Listen, let me just give you one thing about love. It never keeps a record of wrongs. How many records you got right now? You're in violation. You're in spiritual violation of love. You better got a new coat. Like that, okay. I know you looked at me like, okay, it's time to end the sermon. (laughs) And you are right. So finally, he says, look, be thankful. The last thing, peaceable. So I, I love this. I can't stop without telling you. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your, uh, let the word of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule. That word is to arbitrate or to umpire. So in other words, when you're in a situation, God's peace is telling you how to resolve it. Resolve it for God's peace. 
as much as you can. You can't uh, compromise morally, and you can't compromise theologically, doctrinally. But there's a whole lot that you can say, let's, for the sake of peace, let's agree to. So the, the peace of Christ is saying safe, well, out, <laughs> or safe, right? And so then there's thankfulness again. And the summation, whatever you do, whether word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? That means it, when you do something in the name of somebody, you're representing them. So whether you're raising kids, going grocery shopping, standing in a long line, you're trying to buy a new transmission. Remember I told you about the guy who said, listen, you, you need a new transmission. I got some good news. Uh, your warranty, you're only like eight miles over or 100 miles over. I can fix that, and then I'll get paid, and you'll get a new transmission. When I'm buying a new transmission in the name of the Lord, see, I have to tell him, which I did tell him, sorry, no can do, I'm a Christian. And he said, well, I'm as honest as the day is long. And I said, well, we must be having a solar eclipse. <laughs> Whatever you do, you could do that. He's not telling you to go move up in some mountain and get on some holy robe and start chanting and disconnect from everyday life. You got to buy a, a transmission for crying out loud. But when you go into the shop, you're up with the transmission, up with the kids, up with the school, up with the locker room, up when you're playing sports, when you're Tim Tebow's, Tim Boo. <laughs> All right, got to stop. Tim Tebow yes. saying, it's not about the football. It's about a chance to minister for God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. We ask God that you would help us to do these three things, to set a new course, to ditch the old life, and to put on the new clothes of a new life in Christ. In Jesus' name. If you've read the book, heard the story, or seen the movie, or watched Dateline or all the other shows that covered this dude, this dude was uh, hiking through a ravine. His name's Aaron Ralston. 2003, he was alone, no one knew where he was, and a boulder pinned his hand and his forearm down to where he couldn't get out of the ravine. After two days, he realized, I'm gonna die here. And it was his hand or his life. And he did the unthinkable with his pocket knife. He took his hand off. And in the movie and in the book, he laughed at the end when it came free. He said, I had such joy. I was so relieved. I was going to have a life. I was going to see my parents. I was going to live. I couldn't wait to start climbing. And it was, he said, and this is why I bring it up, even though it's so graphic. He said, the joy of being free just motivated me and I was filled with joy at the thought of being liberated from it and so they went back in and they had this they recovered and they did this service and 
That's just a a mind-boggling story, but he said, it was me or the hand. And I decided for me. Decide for you, sir, with the pornography. Decide for you. Get rid of it. For the gossiping or the stealing or the lying or whatever the secret things are going on, they go on. They go on. Stop. Decide for you. And after it's done, you're going to laugh with this joy that says, wow, thank you, God. Let's pray. God, it just takes a lot of courage. Well, Lord, it is, it's us or our sin, really. Help us to see it that clearly and to have the courage and the wisdom to put the misdeeds of our body to death on the help of the Holy Spirit so that we could live and be free and be all that you have for us, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.